We're doing a series right now uh, called Steward of the King. We're talking about, hey, what do you know? Stewardship. Uh, and uh, stewardship is kind of one of those weird words um, where, you know, we don't use it an awful lot. Um, or if we do, we use it in very specific sets of circumstances. But um, there was a you know time and place when um, it was a little more common, and uh, we see it a lot in you know literature and whatnot. So, uh, Dan, go ahead and roll that clip for me, will you, please? <clears throat> Maybe. Denisor, son of Exelion, lord and steward of Gondor. Lord and steward of Gondor, right? How many of you have seen Lord of the Rings? Yeah, uh, Tolkien used a bunch of um, uh, old English words and whatnot in his, a lot of his writing. In fact, um, I think the man spoke something like 17 languages before he died, or 97 or something, I don't know, it was a ridiculous number. Uh, quick little story, um, my wife's uh, uncle was a uh, uh, professor of literature at a, a college in, in uh, Toronto, and uh, he was over at their house having dinner one night, and, and I made some comment about Tolkien, a big Tolkien fan, and this was long before the movies, and, and Uncle Charles <clears throat> was off in the corner and very quietly said, oh yes, I remember watching Dr. Lewis and Dr. Tolkien walking across the, the quad at Oxford. You know the record player in your head? Mine just went rip. <laughs> I'm sorry, what did you say? Anyway, so, so I knew a guy who knew Tolkien. So I went, Steward. Let's go back to the word. Steward is this interesting word. Uh, it actually comes from Old English. Um, here's my working definition, by the way. Stewardship is managing what God has given us for his purposes. And um, it's, it's an Old English, or it comes from the Old English word, two words, actually. And the first one is stig, S-T-I-G, stig, which means house, and um, weird, W-E-A-R-D, weird, which means protect. So it was somebody who protected the house. And over time, that definition has changed where you're managing in place of someone else. So in the clip, uh, that person was the lord of the city, but he was a steward. He wasn't the king. He was just managing the affairs while the king was away. Um, and uh, I, I think the best way for us to think about in, in today's terminology is think about a, a document called the power of attorney. You know, if you have power of attorney, you're able to conduct legal things on behalf of another person. Does that make sense? That's kind of what a steward does. And um, we've talked about this idea of stewardship over the last couple of weeks that God has given us some things. Okay, we're managing what God has given us for his purposes. And the first one we talked about was attention. Because if you can't 
steward the attention that God has given you, it's really hard to steward anything else. Those of us with ADD, we, we understand this. Because, you know, it's just, whoa. <laughs> we get so distracted by the things that are going on around us. Um, and, and so you, you, have to, you have to focus your attention first. And then last week we talked about um, stewarding the blessings that God has given us because God gave them for a reason, and usually that reason is to benefit others. Now, it's okay if you benefit from them yourself, but there is never a blessing that's given just for you. And it's always there to, to bless someone else. We are conduits, or um, uh, a friend of mine, um, I just talked to him this week, and he says, you've got to think of yourself like a fire hose. He says, you're a fire hose for blessing, and you're going to get wet. So you get a little bit of the blessing, too, as you're a conduit. Does that make sense? I thought it was a great, great illustration. So, and then um, last week, we also talked about the fact that we're here to steward time because we don't really know how much time we actually have, and only God knows that in particular. And much of what you can say about stewarding your attention, you can say about stewarding time. Um, Today, we're going to kind of turn our attention to something else. We're going to turn our attention to stewarding money, or more more specifically, resources. Now, I have to be honest, anytime preachers start talking about money, one of the things that we notice is that people start shifting uncomfortably in their chairs. And for whatever reason, you can always tell where they keep their pocketbooks, because they keep touching it. (laughs) As soon as 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 a preacher starts talking about this, and and I think what happens is they're worried that, well, a preacher's going to ask for more money. Well, okay, let me just get this out of the way. I'm not going to do that. Okay, I'm not going to ask you for more money. I am, however, going to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. (laughs) Okay? Does that make sense? We're going to make room for the Spirit to do the things that only the Spirit can do. And if that um, turns out to be, uh, you know, tithes and offerings and whatnot, that's cool. Uh, We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Okay? When you do talk about money, very often there's a couple of responses that take place with, within people. Probably more than this, but there are two real big ones. The first uh, response is pride, especially if you're a person who's got kind of the money thing figured out. And, uh, you know, you've taken Dave Ramsey, so you know, right? You know how to do this. I've, I've got financial peace in my life, and, and okay, that, that's fine, but we got it all figured out, and, and so, so it's like, okay, whatever, whatever you know, God's got for me today, it's fine because I've already worked through this one you know, years or months ago or whatever it happens to be. The other one that often comes up, it's a little more subtle, it's shame. Because maybe you haven't managed your resources to the best of your ability. Bo- both of those things are, are true, and we can find them in any group of people, is that, you know, I don't have it all figured out. I haven't done this well. Or maybe I haven't done this as well as I know that I could have for whatever reason. And so we, we typically get pride and shame. And so what I want to just say at the beginning is let's just acknowledge the fact that those emotions are probably in the room. And I just want to say one thing to you. Stop it. Don't worry about those two things. Okay, look, if, if you do have um, your finances figured out, God bless you. But I'm sure there's room for improvement. And that God's got something for you today as well. Even if it's just coming right back to the basics and trying to learn how to do it, okay? If shame is the emotion that comes up because maybe you haven't um, managed them as, as, you know, to the best of your ability and you're feeling bad about it, please understand there's no judgment here. There's, there's none whatsoever. Jesus is still in the change business. So just because that's, um, you know, characterized how you've done things in the past, that doesn't mean it has to be how you characterize things in the future. And Hey, that's cool. So what we want to do is we want to look at this soberly 
And the only way to do it soberly is to, to deal honestly about where we are. And for some people, it might be pride. Some people, it might be shame. But either way, there, there's, no, there's no judgment here. I want you to understand that. In fact, the New Testament writer, a man named Paul, wrote a letter to a group of Christians in, um, in a, on a little town, and he wrote this. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. So the, really, the idea here is we want to make sure that when you're here at Thrive Church, uh, and you're learning something new, and it might be challenging you emotionally, is that we're really interested about the peace of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that you might not get agitated, and it might not mean that you, know, that you don't have emotions related to it, but ultimately we want you to find, find some peace. And so we're going to look for God's thoughts uh, as it relates to, to money and finances and stewarding those things that God has given us. Because this idea of stewardship comes from somewhere. And I think this is really, really important because if we don't have this uh, foundation, if we don't have this anchor for what we do, nothing else makes sense. So I invite you to turn with me to the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible, that's fine. I'm going to put it up on the screen so that you can read it. We're going to start in verse 26. Okay, so this is the creation narrative, and he's just gone through a whole series of creating you know, water and sky and earth and separating them and filling it and whatnot. And we get to the very end, and God makes this comment. <clears throat> then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Okay, now, this is incredibly important because there are some words that are used here that we need to pay attention to. Let's look at the first one. Right? He says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over. And then notice that the same word appears again in, in verse 28 at the very end as God is giving them kind of this charge, rule over the fish in the sea. So he created them to rule, and then he says, go ahead and rule. Right? The problem that we run into very often is that we look at this idea of um, subduing the earth. And sometimes there's a, uh, a word that it gets translated as have dominion over it. But the word that's used here in Hebrew really is not about lording power over something, but rather you are supposed to conquer it and rule it, but it's not yours to rule because God just created everything. You are to rule as a representative of God. Why? Because we are made in his own image. There is an imprint of the divine on every single person that you meet. Every person you meet. Even the person you don't like at work. Even the person that gives you a lousy service at the restaurant. They're all made in the image of God in some way. And because that image is within us, we are now God's representatives on earth. It is not ours, but we are here to rule as his representatives. Does that make sense? It's a huge piece of understanding if we're going to, to get this idea. 
of stewardship. And then notice this. He says, God bless them. But re- remember that the, the blessing here um, is, is one of responsibility, not one of just carte blanche, I can do whatever I please. Right? So we need to, to make sure that we, we get this. And I think this is really important um, because we are ruling over his creation, which um, I guess when it comes to the environment, I'm a bleeding heart liberal largely because of this. This has never been revoked. God said that you are to take care of his creation, and we need, we need to do that. Um, now, here's the other thing. We need to keep reading in Genesis chapter 2. So think about it this way. Genesis chapter 1 is a poem, and there are some very interesting things in that poem. And in Genesis chapter 2 is more narrative, and here's what we find. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man that he had just created and put him in the Garden of Eden to, notice this, work it and take care of it. And the words here are, um, the work it is to cultivate it, and the second is to, to actually care for it or protect it. So here we have this general idea, rule over it, but now it's, it's much more particularized. It's much more specified that you're supposed to cultivate it and you're supposed to care for it. In other words, do something with it. I've blessed you with this thing. Go and do something with it. Form it, shape it, make, make it so that it's a benefit to you and to the benefit to the people around you. But the idea here is that it's still not yours. You have to care for it. You can't just consume it and spit it out. It really has to be something that, that you, you think of in terms as, as, a, as a steward. And so the image here is humans represent God. They manage on God's behalf. In short, obviously, they steward it. And again, this command has not been revoked at all. So it's still in force even until this day. Now, here's the upshot. Ready? Here's the upshot. It's all God's. Every last bit of it. It's all God's. And to think in terms of that, it kind of takes some, some pressure off, and in other ways, it puts some pressure on you. You know, that I have to think in terms that it's not just mine, um, but that this is God's. And here's the, here's the, 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 the part that, that I think is very freeing, is that if it's all God's, I can check in with him on how I manage it. <laughs> okay, does that make sense? That he's probably got an idea about how he wants us to do that. So I want to give you something that um, the good old John Wesley said back in the 18th century. Um, we are Wesleyan Arminian in our theology, and so we often go back to, to Mr. Wesley. Uh, he wrote uh, a series of sermons, 52 to be exact, because he had itinerant preachers. And so these preachers would get on horseback and they would have a certain route that they would go and they would make stops at individual towns and they would preach. And so John Wesley gave him 52 standard sermons, one for each week of the year, right? And uh, this is out of sermon number 50. Um, he wrote it dealing with stewardship and with money and that kind of a thing. And here's what he, su- he suggested in that sermon, that each one of us would, next slide, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And it, he's very clear about this, that every single Christian needs to earn everything that they possibly can. They need to save as much as they can, but they also need to give as much as they, as they can. Now, on the one hand, well, that's not rocket surgery, right? It's not. I mean, it's pretty simple. And yet, this is really hard to do. And I want to talk about, about this a little bit. I want to take each one of these in turn, and I want to show you some things in the Scripture. Now, um, for those of you who um, might be relatively new, um, I don't 
tend to skip around in the Bible and show a bunch of different things, largely because I don't want to proof text anything. I don't think proof texting is, is a, a biblically sound way of understanding our faith. But there are times like this when we're dealing with this topic where there's a bunch of different verses that speak into this. Okay, so what I'm trying to say is I'm not going to prove anything by this. I merely want to illustrate what we're talking about, okay, so that we understand that. So let's take the first one. Earn all you can. We honor God when we employ our talents and our abilities productively. Okay, we actually honor him when we use them. Because why? God put the man in the garden to cultivate it and care for it. Do something with it. Don't just allow it to, to, to become overgrown. You have to actually make it productive. So anything that he's given us, he wants us to use productively. And by the way, the best way to do this is just to add value to someone else. If you want to get ahead in your job, add value. Find ways to add value to other people's lives. If you're an entrepreneur, you want to add value. If you're working in a company, you want to add value. If you're working in a nonprofit, you want to add value to the people that are part of your audience or your, or your clientele. And what we see is in Deuteronomy chapter 8, God is making this agreement with the people of Israel. And he says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you, what's the word? Ability to produce, what's the word? Wealth. The Lord God has given you ability to pr pr produce wealth. And that's the case for everybody. We're all given the ability to produce wealth. We're given two hands. Uh, we're given minds to work. Some of us are given mouths to talk. Right? Happens. But remember, the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Um, when we work to earn, or we, we do work to earn, but it's also wise to create multiple streams of income. So it's not that we're putting all of our eggs in one basket as it goes, but to actually have multiple ways of earning more money, and which is why John Wesley told us, he said, save all you can as well. Right? Save all that you can. <clears throat> um, put some away for later, but also put it away so that it works for you. Here's an interesting little fact. I didn't know this, um, but I, I was kind of doing some research and came across this. The U.S. savings rate is 5.4% of income. So imagine your income, multiply it by 5.4%, and that's the average saving rate in the United States. Okay? Um, in Europe, it's closer to 12%. Isn't that crazy? We're like 5.4% of our savings, savings rate, but Europe is considerably higher. And so the writer of Proverbs, most likely a man named um, Solomon, put it this way. He said, dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Now, please understand, on Proverbs, we have to be very careful because Proverbs is a collection of wise sayings. So Solomon was a very wise king, and so he collected these wise sayings. We actually find some of these sayings in other writings in the region, in Egypt and in Mesopotamia. So apparently there was you know, some guys walking around who had some pretty wise things to say, and some other kings said, hey, I really like that, and they added it to their own collection. And anyway, we have this collection of wise sayings. And, and Solomon noticed this, that dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. 
which just really supports what Wesley is saying, is that we need to save as much as we can. But here's the thing that just drives me crazy. It takes time. I'm so good with patience. How about you? You know? But we gather money little by little, and we make it grow. Uh, I think it was Einstein who said the most um, amazing thing that he knew was the idea of compound interest, right? I think it was Einstein who said that. Uh, and that's, that's what's at work here. Um, gather it little by little makes it grow, and I think that's, that's an important thing. And the best way that you can maximize your savings, a little bit of uh, bonus wisdom here, is to get out of debt. I'm just going to say that up front because I think it's important. Remember, um, the U.S. savings rate was 5.4%. You want to know what the debt rate is? 10%. 10% of your income. And I don't think that includes mortgages. Typically speaking, your mortgage is roughly around 30% of your income. So 30 to 40% of people that are in debt. Best way to maximize your, your, your savings is to get, get out of get out of debt. In fact, I really like this, this next verse. Actually, I don't like this next verse. Uh, writer Proverbs, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. <laughs> uh, yeah. Can I just say something? You know, I, I'm just going to say this out loud. Slavery is not what God has in mind for you. Okay? Just, you just need to understand that. Slavery is not what God has in mind. Now, please understand, when we talk about, about this, getting out of debt, there's nothing magical about it. There just isn't. It will take you time. It will take you effort. You will likely have to work your way out, but you have to trust that God's going to teach you some things along the way. Now, there's a certain strain of theology that we find here in Tulsa that suggests that Yes, God does not want slavery for you, so he's instantaneously going to fix it. That's not true. God will use the circumstances that you find yourself in so that you can work with him to get out of it because he's growing you in the process. God's goal is not your health and happiness. God's goal is your discipleship in the kingdom of God. Don't miss that. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, so save all you can. Earn all you can, save all you can. And the last of all, give all you can. In God's economy, we care for each other. In fact, Jesus made this comment. He said, people are going to know that you're my disciples by how you love each other. And so part of loving each other is giving uh, to, to one another. And, and so Wesley said, we should, we should give. In the Old Testament... Israel was required to give its first fruits. Basically what that uh, works out to be is the first 10% of the harvest. So let's say I have uh, a 10-acre field and I have you know, um, 10 bushels of wheat, probably more than that, then one of those would go back to the temple. It was the first fruit. And really all it was is just kind of going and saying, God, you're the source. Here is 10% back because you're the source. Does that make sense? It's acknowledging the fact that God has given us the ability to produce wealth. And so you acknowledge that by actually doing something, by giving it, giving it back to God. And typically it was, it was with, uh, to, the, to the temple. And, and here's a beautiful part. If you, if you accept the idea that God owns it all, wouldn't it make sense to give some of it back to him? 
right? I mean, and that, again, is not a hard concept for us to, to, to grasp. Um, there's a little book uh, written by um, a, a, a prophet in the Old Testament um, called Malachi. My mom used to say it was the only um, uh, Italian prophet, Malachi. If that helps you, I don't know. It's, anyway, Malachi is how you pronounce it. Uh, Malachi um, makes this statement on behalf of God that's absolutely stunning. Here it is, Malachi uh, chapter 3, verse 10. God says to Israel, bring the whole tithe, that's 10%, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there it is, something else for you to steward, uh, that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, let me make a couple of, of comments about this because this is why this is in, in important. Bring the whole tithe, the whole 10% into the, the storehouse. In this case, it was the temple. But I don't want you to miss the highlighted version. This is one of the few times in, in Scripture where God says, test me. Most of the time, you don't want to test God. <laughs> that is a really bad idea. But here God is saying, no, 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 really, bring it. You know, let's, I want you to see what I can do with the things that you bring, right? Loaves and fishes, anybody, right? 5,000 people, four loaves, okay, this is, this is the God that we're talking about. Test me in this. Make sure that there's enough, um, you know, food, and I'm going to open up and blessing. But please, 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 please understand that this idea of blessing the floodgates of heaven, man, isn't that a great image? Just love that idea. That doesn't necessarily mean, though, that the floodgates of blessing are more, more finances, more money. Might be, but it might be something else, that you could be blessed by your relationships. You can be blessed by um, other things in your life, maybe your personal growth. There are different ways that you can be blessed. It may or may not be financial. And I know, you know what? I'm like you. I want the floodgates of heaven to be all about money. I really want that to be the case. Oh, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Great. Sell a few off and send that proceeds my way. That would be fabulous, right? But that's not necessarily what he's talking about here. The, the floodgates of heaven, this idea of blessing, can mean a whole lot more than just something financial. And so let me make a couple of quick comments about tithing. See, this is the part we're going to talk about giving, and I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do what only the Holy Spirit can do, okay? I want to just make a quick, couple of quick comments about this. If you are serious about um, t um, stewarding your financial resources, the first thing you really have to do, I know this is going to sound funny, is just commit. you got to commit to it. Um, and the best way you can do that is, is set up kind of an electronic giving. It's an easy thing to do. Now, I'm going to tell a little story. Um, my wife and I made a commitment uh, decades ago that we were going to, we were going to tithe 10% of everything that came into the house, household as far as income. And we did um, that pretty faithfully. And I'm not saying this, pat on the back. Um, we went to seminary. And normally when you go to seminary, it's an expensive endeavor, and they talk about, you know, impoverished seminary kids. We actually had no discernible change in our lifestyle. Now, I cannot prove it to you, but I think it was God honored the fact that we tithed. I, I don't know how to explain it. 
Now, did that mean that we, had, we could get everything that we wanted? No. But as far as our lifestyle went, how we lived our lives, there was really no discernible change once we, we, we lived in Michigan and then we moved, moved to Kentucky for seminary. I can't explain that any other way other than the fact that I believe God, God honored that. Now, contra, a few years later, uh, we were not in a financial position um, where we felt like we could tithe, and we didn't. And you know what? It was very different. Our lifestyle changed. Now, again, can I prove it? No, I can't. But that's what I believe. I believe that because we were faithful, God honors that faithfulness. So well, the first thing you have to do is you have to commit. Now, if you're just kind of starting on this idea of tithing, 10% may be too much for your budget. You know, let's just call a spade a spade. It might be that way. Um, 10% is the minimum goal. That's the goal. But I think God honors your heart if you give regularly. So pick a number that, that, that you and your significant other, your spouse, um, can, can commit to and do that, but do it consistently. Work towards 10% if you can as being the minimum, but the point is, is that if you're giving consistently, God sees the faithfulness, and I think God honors that. In fact, I know he honors that. And I'm going to make a promise to you. This is going to be um, one of those things where I, other churches have done this, but I, I think this is a, a helpful thing. Look, if you choose to tie 10% to, to Thrive Church, and at any point, your financial circumstances dictate that you need that money back, come talk to me. No questions asked. I believe powerfully in this idea of, of tithing. And so if you choose to give 10% and you find that it's not working for you and you need that money back, let me know. And we'll, we'll, we'll write you a check and say thank you very much. But remember, God said, test me in this. So let's test you know, God in this and, and, and see what he might do. Does that make sense, what we're trying to do? So just a couple of, you know, three very brief things um, when it comes to tithing. Now, <clears throat> I came across a, a quote the other day that just really got a hold of me. I've been thinking about it. It said this, Master the fundamentals and execute simple, uncomplicated plans. My role as a senior leader in a church, number one, uh, number one is to make sure that we continue to, to focus on the vision of making disciples. But the second thing is to resist complexity, because complexity will kill any kind of execution. Any type of anything you want, just simplicity is hard work. But if you look at this simple fundamentals, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can, you've got a great anchor. And I think Wesley's encouragement here is just enormously helpful, at least as I think about it. Even kind of coming back to this this, this last week and saying, okay, how do I do these three things? How do I make sure that I do that? And then to go to prayer and say, God, how do I do these three things? Because I need some, some wisdom in doing this. So, it, you know, like I said, it's not rocket surgery, and yet it is very difficult to do because it is the fundamentals. Earn, save, give all that you can in each one of those. 
And you need to figure out just exactly how to execute some uncomplicated plans. Because how you save, for instance, or how you earn is going to be different from, from person to person. Oh, should I save the money in a retirement account or should I save it in a bank savings account? Well, bank savings is going to be great if you're six, you know, six years old. But if you're, you know, looking at, you know, retiring someday, the mechanism doesn't matter. The point is, is that you're focused on this idea and you're asking God, looking for God's guidance and how to do that. But that's, you want to keep that as uncomplicated as you can. But these are the fundamentals. Master these fundamentals and execute simple, uncomplicated plans.